Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. everyone welcome to the roto world football podcast i am matt straup today we're reviewing all four games from the divisional round and bringing you some takeaways for the eliminated teams moving forward i'm joined by pat darty and denny carter guys last time we convened just out of curiosity i asked about your shoe preferences oh boy you know this it was a simple question shoes or no well pat darty not only revealed that he wears shoes during podcasts but he also wears them literally every waking hour of the day. And we got some response on Twitter to this. And we just want to highlight this one. Uh, a listener said, might as well have just outed himself as a psychopath. And I have to agree wholeheartedly. I wanted to give you a chance to respond. I'm going to immediately refer to my defense lawyer, Denny Carter, um, <laughs> because he had an even stronger take on the matter than I did, which I believe your tweet was, a shoe should be on from the second you wake up to the second you go to sleep. Correct. And uh, <laughs> that's right. So we, and Denny and I had a brief conversation off the air about this, that uh, like, this might just be like a cultural thing, like a generational thing. Although Matt is in our generation too, but like I told Dan, I've never seen my dad's bare feet uh, where I come from. You wear shoes all day, every day. That's just where you're hard working Midwestern Catholic upbringing, Midwestern values and, you know, humility, humbleness. You don't show your feet. You wear Look, shoes all it, day, and that's just how I was you, raised. That's right. If you hate Midwestern values, that's on you, you know. And <laughs> and you know, Pat sticks by it. And you know, for me, born born and raised in Maryland, I I uh, abide by Midwestern values as well. Um, and uh, I I'm a, I'm a shoe guy. I'm I'm a shoe guy. It, but oh, so here's the thing. It's um it's like family culture. I think my dad as well has never been without shoes in his whole sixty whatever years on earth, never been without shoes. He has very soft, sensitive uh, uh, bottoms of his feet. It's true. I'm not, you know, playing around here. So do I. So do I. So I've inherited this from him. And, you know, so if people are, are going to call us psychopaths uh, for this immutable, immutable trait, that is, is what it is, uh, then, you know, again, that's, that's on them. That's their problem. So I just want to be clear, Denny, this is not a bit. You are also a guy who you wake up in the morning, you strap on your boots, and you cruise around all day with your feet just smothered. Is that the deal? <laughs> so I – okay, yes. It's a good question. I recently discovered slippers. Um, okay. You know, I'm 37 years old, just got a, my first pair of slippers ever, and they're, they're nice. I like them. Uh, but I, I shift from those after the last sip of coffee, right after the last sip, I then shift into shoe mode. Um, but you know, I, my, my wife's family is the complete opposite. 
they will not wear shoes unless their feet are are in danger of of injury. That's the only way that they're they're going to put on shoes. So she comes from that background, tough-footed woman, you know, and, and so she doesn't wear shoes. And but I I need them. Yeah, my wife's the same way. By the way, she grew up in like a little river town, and like on the Missouri River or Mississippi River, excuse me. And it's like they'd be like walking around all day, like shoeless and like pebbles when she was a kid. So she just doesn't understand the shoe thing either. She has she's getting more in team shoe with the more kids we have, though. And you just need that extra support on your feet. And honestly, the main reason I wear it, my feet hurt if I don't wear them. And you could say it's like a chicken or the egg thing where I've conditioned my feet too much to expect shoes. But I'm too far down the rabbit hole now at age 34 yeah, to go back and. These shoes will be strapped on uh, until I'm in a casket. So, uh, <laughs> and even then, and even yeah, then, even then, I will be, be buried in shoes. Uh, I'll be buried in Reebok Classics, which was my house shoes that I wear that's, around that's all day. I would prefer Pumas for anyone listening. If my wife is listening, <laughs> well, listeners, you can draw your own conclusions, but I have drawn my conclusion. And I'm in here doing the podcast today with a pair of psychopaths. So <laughs> I'm going to try to get through this. We're all going to try to get through this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And guys, let's get into this game-by-game review of the divisional round. We'll do it in the order these games happened. The Packers beat the Rams 32-18. to Pat, what stood out to you overall from this game? What stood out to me the most uh, from this game, Marty, like, changing subjects, but it was, like, what happened after the game and uh, Sean McVay passing up two opportunities uh, to endorse Jared Goff as his 2021 starter. And uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this book uh, called The Bible. But uh, I, if you deny someone three times, that is when it gets really bad. <laughs> so if Sean McVay does that again to Jared Goff, we have to be very worried about 2021 and Jared Goff, which brings me back to the actual game. I mean, the takeaway was, like, the Rams, this formula finally just fell apart. I mean, uh, when you're, like, a stars and scrubs team, uh, many people point out you need your stars to not be injured. And the Rams had several of their most important players playing at less than 100% health. And mm-hmm. uh, with, with just the Jared, the way they were calling this game, you could just see Sean McVay bristling at what he had. And Jared, like this itching to get beyond his Jared Goff uh, restrictions, like someone who like really wants like a more mobile quarterback resorting to the wildcat with Cam Akers. You could just see like Sean McVay be like, why is Jared Goff my quarterback? And then, 
uh, speaking about, you know, basically uh, confirming that after the game when he's one of the highest paid players in the league and he won't even confirm him as his 2021 starter. And that was my main takeaway from this game. I mean, of course, we could talk about the Packers and the team that actually advanced. Uh, hopefully, Denny has some takeaways on the Green Bay, pa- Green Bay Packers. <laughs> I I don't. No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, for, first of all, I didn't know we were getting religious uh, today. I didn't know we were going to Sunday school, uh, so I'm not prepared for that. But okay, so the thing that the Packers did was they moved around uh, their best offensive weapon, Devonte Adams, so that he you know could avoid Jalen Ramsey to an extent, right? And this is exactly what the this Seahawks is bad coaching. That's bad. Yeah, coaching. Right, right. This is what the Seahawks refused to do in three games with DK Metcalf against Ramsey as they said, you know, we're going to have them go head to head. We're not going to make any effort to free up our best offensive weapon. Uh, If he doesn't do it by himself, he doesn't do it. And the Packers did not take that route and, and it, it paid off. I mean, you know, Adams has a a really nice day. The the passing game um, looked as efficient and, and stellar at times as it, as it ever did this season with Aaron Rodgers back there. So it's, I don't know. I, I credit, I credit the Packers for not being stubborn, you know, for saying we need the scheme Adams open and they did successfully. Wasn't a big fan of Jamal Williams goal line season. Did anyone else uh, tilted by this? Uh, uh, so they're, they're doing where they're doing what we want them to do with Devonta Adams, still getting weird in the backfield. And again, like looking forward to the off season, it certainly feels more and more like the Green Bay Packers will be letting Aaron Jones walk and they'll be moving forward with Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon. But, I mean, the Packers, I mean, doing this, even if Aaron Donald was at less than 100% health and, you know, wasn't out there for every snap, the Packers doing this uh, against this Rams defense, which was maybe to the, at this point arguably the best overall defense in the league, looking very, very tough to stop on the NFC. But it's just set up, you know, for later in the show, later in the week with our preview pod, Aaron Rodgers is going to be facing a Bucs team. He had by far his worst start of the season against uh, his only start with zero touchdowns, uh, his only start with multiple interceptions. Um, so two teams that seem to be peaking at the right time, it will be a absolutely fascinating NFC championship game. Yeah. You know, Aaron Jones uh, only had 43% of the Packers carries and was only in there. I think 45 of their 75 snaps on offense. So um, you know, the, the theory uh, that the Packers were just saving uh, Jones to be the workhorse for the postseason so far uh, hasn't panned out. Yeah, especially because you would have thought, you know, against the really tough front like the Rams, really tough run defense, you want to be going more for explosive run plays than just the grinded out run plays that Jamal Williams gives you. So, yeah, I mean, we've got two games left maybe in the season for the Packers, and I think we can safely give up on trying to project Aaron Jones mm-hmm. because just every week it's something different. Well, circling back to Jared Goff, guys, for a second. I mean, he he was 21 of 27, 174 yards, one touchdown. You know, we know the thumb's bothering him. And you talked about Sean McVay being noncommittal about Goff, but what choice does he really have, Pat? I mean, they're kind of stuck with him, right? They, I mean, they, he will be on the roster. Uh, his contract basically makes like Carson Wentz's contract look like a rookie deal. Like it's such a bad contract. Like you truly cannot cut it. You truly cannot trade it. I mean, I do say that the Rams are a team that they had no financial incentive whatsoever to cut Todd Gurley. And they still did it just because they thought it made the football team better. And maybe once you move on from a player, uh, you just kind of like don't want that distraction around. But I mean, I don't, I don't even know. 
I, I don't know if it's like literally even like possible for them to cut Jared Goff the contract. Yeah. So I don't think they could even do that, even if they wanted to. Um, but I mean, Sean McVay, when he moves on, looks so like he moved on from Tiger Early. Like I said, he moved on from Brandon Cooks. You know, that was a more tradable, that was a better asset one they could still get rid of. But I guess there's a scenario where like Jared Goff remains on the team as the number two quarterback. I don't think, uh, even if you're like an iconoclast like Sean McVay, I don't think that will truly be an option. But I think what we're really seeing is like 2021 being set up as like Jared Goff's like absolute last stand. And then once yeah. it's the contract gets a little less punitive, they can really start to think about the future in 2022 because Sean McVay, I mean, the, what he's done with Jared Goff the past four years, like the manipulations, like I don't know if we've ever seen a coach finesse and manage a quarterback better, but we've like finally reached the outer limit of what is possible with Sean McVay and Jared Goff. And 2021 definitely looks like to me it's setting up for Jared Goff's last year. Uh, for Sean, maybe absent, you know, some like career reinvention and just much, much better play. Yeah, uh, I, I believe the Federal Reserve would have to get involved for the Rams <laughs> to um, get rid of Jared Goff. Uh, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so. that's right. yeah, we're going to we're going to have to look into that um, and the defend policy there. For, uh, Jared Goff. Uh, that's right. Yeah, so <laughs> toxic aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that, that describes him, uh, you know, I, Pat's right about uh, McVeigh is just handcuffed by golf, by his contract. And they can probably like vastly improve the offense and the, uh, obviously the quarterback position in free agency this year by signing someone to like a really short term deal to someone to compete with golf and in training camp and, and judging by what, you know, about McVeigh not endorsing golf as the 2021 starter, who would be shocked if there was a legit uh, camp, if that, if we're going to have camps at preseason, whatever, uh, if there was a legit camp competition next year for the Rams and there, and honestly there, there needs to be you, they they cannot just keep going with this formula and expect Jerry Goff to become you know someone he's not. This is a day, absolutely. They're going to probably uh, they have money problems, but they're going to have to add some sort of competition, like a new rookie, a new really low cost veteran, because like they flew too close to the sun with John Wolford as their number two. Like they had maybe the least invested in their backup quarterback position of any team in the league, and as we've seen, like this is no longer an option for Sean McVay. He needs some sort of alternative what it just really boils down to with Jared Goff is like you've done such a brilliant job getting the most out of him and manipulating him like those priests with the pre-snap audibles and you're barking the audibles into his headset until like the very last second but he just can't create offense on his own and like mm-hmm. so there's just a, a hard limit to this approach and uh, they have reached it Quickly, before we move on from this game, guys, I wanted to quickly talk about Cam Akers, 18 carries, 90 yards, and a score in this game. We obviously saw him just dominating backfield touches down the stretch for this team, but that was without Darrell Henderson. I know that Sean McVay loved the committee approach throughout the season. It was absolutely driving fantasy managers insane. So do you think we can forecast Cam Akers in a future role heading into next season, Denny, or do you think, given what we know about McVay and what he wants to do, that's, that's a pipe dream? It might not be a pipe dream. You know, Henderson looms somewhat large, I think. Um, I, I, I really don't think you can transfer Akers' late season usage to next season just to say, oh, you know, he was the workhorse. He was an elite fantasy producer for, you know, his last four or six games or whatever it was. So um, that's what's going to happen 
uh, next season. It, the Henderson injury was was huge in how they ended up using Acres late in the season and then into the postseason. So I, I don't. I think it would be a little presumptuous to go that route. It makes me think. You know, I know you weren't asking about fantasy drafts, but obviously my brain goes in that direction. That it makes me think that Acres could be one of the more overdrafted kind of running backs this season because of just the bias of, of just recently seeing him in this role and, and really excel in this role. But yeah, McVay would have to do uh, like a 180 on his approach to the backfield in order for, I think, Akers to continue with his late season role into next season. I will just say he loved the committee until he discovered Cam Akers. Right, and that's true. There were a few games where Daryl Henderson was, you know, fully healthy and they still went all in on Cam Akers. And we might have seen, you know, an even more of a complete takeover of the backfield if not for Cam Akers' ankle injury. And Sean McVay is now he has a history, even though he's only been the coach four years, he now has a history of both approaches. He's done like the full on bell cow with Todd Gurley in the past. And he's, you know, managed this committee pretty skillfully in 2020. But I think Cam Akers, they've discovered something. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Cam Akers, he's going to be one of the, one of like those guys in fantasy drafts. Next, we're we're going to be debating him endlessly, but I could see a world where Cam Akers ends up almost as like a consensus first round pick. And mm-hmm. like Danny said, that's going to be dangerous because you can't just assume like they're going to want to keep, even though he's only going to be a sophomore, they're going to want to keep like tread on his tires. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Rams are like, all in on Cam Akers after what was obviously very special play down the stretch. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's we're not that far removed from the girly era in L.A., but you're right. I mean, before he was the timeshare backfield guy, he, he was the give it to the same guy every single snap no matter what uh, guy. So that you're that's a good point. All right. The Packers will host the Bucks in the NFC Championship game. Next up on the slate on Saturday was a game that Feature Josh Allen against Lamar Jackson, massive shootout potential in this one. I think we were all excited to see the fireworks as these two squared off. So, of course, the final score was Bills 17, Ravens 3. Danny, what happened to our shootout? Uh, well, the the Bills adjusting <laughs> happened. Uh, you know, I think the, the Bills played zone defense on around 75 or 80% of their defensive snaps against Baltimore, and that is a stark departure from how they usually play on defense with man-to-man. And that is not great for rushing quarterbacks, and particularly Lamar Jackson. Um, So that really slowed him down, really kind of limited his big play potential. And I I was kind of thinking about that game this morning, and, and, uh, of course, everything I think comes out on Twitter. So I I tweeted that um, uh, the Ravens' list of big plays – in their offense this year was the following Lamar Jackson running around, breaking tackles, dodging tacklers and out, out running everyone for a 60 yard touchdown. That's it. That's the only big play that Baltimore had in their arsenal. They had nothing else. So uh, without that and getting behind the Ravens offense is just neutered at that point. I mean, Lamar Jackson's gonna. It's gonna be another one of those offseason, this endless Lamar Jackson narrative. Like, uh, you know, he's not actually good. He didn't. It was a fraudulent MVP season. Like, we're gonna have like this mind-numbing Lamar Jackson debate, and he did not play well against the Bills. But it just boils down to I mean, this is, was an unacceptably bad supporting cat. Yeah, w- weirdly shaky offensive line play, too. By the way, against the Bills, but they just have to. They just have to get more weapons. Even with Marquise Brown, like the downfield threat didn't get nearly enough downfield play. A lot of that was Lamar's fault. He missed 
a lot of easy throws. They, they left so much yardage on the field, those two, but well, they have to get another player who can make plays down the field. It can't be only Marquise Brown. Like, as you said, so the zone has become the thing for the Ravens. Like, who are, like, their zone beaters? Like, is it Willie Sneed? Like, they have to get someone. I mean, even, like, uh, Danny Amendola would have been, like, good for this offense. Like, they need someone who can, like, do something in the middle of the field. You know, that's kind of not Lamar's game. He doesn't, like, love to, like, check down. But, I mean, they absolutely just have to get more bodies in this receiver room. And it's a loaded a receiver class. You know, if they want to go expensive, it's Will Fuller, Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. You, you kind of got, like, options all over the free agent market. There's T.Y. Hilton, Allen Robinson, A.J. Green, Sammy Watkins, Marvin Jones, Corey Davis, Rashad Perriman, et cetera, et cetera. Like, they have to – at the very least – I mean, if they're not going to at least sign, like, Rashad Perriman to, like, a bargain deal, like, what are they doing? Like, they just have to figure something out here. And – they needed to do this last off season too. Like they were one of the teams that had one of the most acute receiver needs and they didn't address it. And it really bit them this year. And uh, so for as much as Lamar didn't play well, I mean, he just does not have enough weapons. Right. And like, it's where everyone can just key in on him. And so they need more big play threats and they absolutely have to have someone who can beat a zone. Cause like you said, Jay, it's become more and more of a theme against them, putting the zone out there and making them beat it. Yeah, are you saying that Des Bryant did not solve their wide receiver problem? Because I I was told that he would. His, I was told that the leadership would uh, would would solve their issues. It was a good meme. He made for like, a good meme, like feel goods on Twitter, and uh, which you know is half the battle in the NFL. Right. Uh, but yeah, that did not solve their issues. Well, Lamar Jackson went fourteen of twenty four, one hundred sixty two yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. Obviously, left early. Just nine for 34 on the ground before he departed his second lowest rushing yardage of the entire season. And I just want to ask, I feel a little bit like I'm shouting at the sky here. Pat mentioned the check down thing. It, it seems like such a simple solution to some of the Ravens offensive problems is just taking. I know J.K. Dobbins had a couple drops, but we saw him get involved in the passing game at three catches for 51 yards. I mean, that's another easy way to get one of their best playmakers the ball. I just don't understand why Lamar doesn't like to check down. I feel like we just take it for granted as a given at this point, but it doesn't really make sense. It might be the way, I mean, truly when like Willie Sneed is like, you're me, I guess you could check down more to Mark Andrews. And yeah, I mean, to his credit, like you said, he did try to check down to J.K. Dobbins and he like Jordan Howard at a few of them. So maybe it would have been a totally different game too, without those drops, but they, you know, they just don't have any legit, I mean, you need actual wide receivers that can do damage like in the check down game. You can't just rely only on running backs and tight ends like you need actual trained lifelong wide receivers uh to like truly do damage in that portion of the game and the ravens just don't have it right now yeah you know um checking down to running backs or, or tight ends or whoever is not really a thing that a lot of rushing quarterbacks do you know i remember talking about why does uh deshaun watson not do that more often and i know that you know david johnson was heavily targeted uh to end the season i i haven't forgotten that but you know, I, I feel like uh, those checkdowns are kind of those screen passes. I am running back receptions in general are kind of a quarterback stat. You know, you you see the the relatively immobile types do that far more uh, than uh, a mobile quarterback who who can you know look at that open field and say, well, I can get that. You know, so I, I don't know if that's you know going to ever be part of his game. Um, but man, it. it it didn't work out with Dobbins in that role against the Bills. 
And they just don't do it because, like, you know, checking down is like you know the second part of the quarterback game. So, like, when the the big play is not there, then you check down. But running quarterback, they can just they get that yardage themselves with their legs. So I, we're probably not going to see increased checkdowns from Lamar Jackson. But when he does check down, they need to be higher quality targets, mm-hmm. and so we got to get someone in there who can work with him more. We saw Josh Allen get just five point six yards per attempt. The Bills completely abandoned the run in this one. I think they had just two rushing attempts in the first half, and one of them was Josh Allen. It was like three minutes left in the first half when they finally gave it to Singletary. I mean, we know the Ravens' D is good. Did you see anything, Pat, that you know gave you pause about this Bills passing game, this Bills offense that you know last week Denny was calling it inevitable? It seemed inevitable. Did you see anything that gave you pause or just credit to a really good defense? Mostly credit to a really good defense, but it was going pa- did give me pause that – Josh Allen didn't have a bigger game because now he's going forward against another really good defense, a Chiefs defense uh, that he had. Also, I mean, a theme with Aaron Rodgers had probably his worst start against the Bucks. Josh Allen had probably his worst start against the Chiefs. And uh, it was in the rain, but uh, he had a season-low completion percentage of 51.9%, season-low yards for attempt of 4.5. You know, it's very un-Josh Allen-like. He only had 14 total completions and – the Chiefs are very tough against the pass just in general. Um, so Josh Allen, we've, we've seen him become steadier and steadier as the, years, as the year went on and had good games against tough defenses. You know, before this year, he just basically never had good games against tough defenses. It's no longer a given that he will have a bad game. But, yeah, I've still uh, – I don't think, like, Josh Allen is, like, any defense proof. Like, he's not, like, a matchup-proof quarterback and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be very interesting to see if he, how he can do against the Chiefs because, yeah, it wasn't his best game, and then he did have his worst game. So this is a very boomer analysis, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's going to have to prove that he can uh, beat the Chiefs. Let, let me, yeah, let me let me continue that boomer analysis by saying that the uh, you know the Bills' offense looked terrible uh, overall against Baltimore, but you know how many open throws did Josh Allen miss, especially in the first half? And I don't know the adrenaline, the wind. I guess the the wind was was crazy. Um, so that that could have been a factor. But I mean, he he's missing guys by ten to fifteen yards who are wide open by anyone's standard. Uh, so I it sure felt like that game could have been a blowout. Could have been uh, a game where the the Bills put up their usual you know three hundred to four hundred yards passing and a couple of touchdowns, maybe a few touchdowns. So yeah, I I. I he was off like Josh Allen had a uh, legit uh, this uh, a really bad game against the Ravens Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil when it comes to listing your home for sale everyone and their mom has advice Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brands Park American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. While the Bills hang on, they will go to Kansas City as the Chiefs beat the Browns on Sunday, as we all expected, thanks to a couple of big plays from Chad Henney late in the game. Uh, Pat, what stood out to you from this one overall? From uh, the Henny Bowl, the the Henny thing is possible game. Uh, I don't know. I, mean, I guess the Chiefs still didn't look like super crisp uh, even before the Patrick Mahomes injury, but they're like kind of doing like the championship football thing, where like the Chiefs are just doing enough to win games. Again, I'm just I am now an honorary boomer. They're just a winning organization, a winning franchise, folks. Uh, <laughs> but I, maybe it's just hard for the Chiefs to go full three. It's kind of easy to forget when you have Patrick Mahomes, like to just like paper over the fact like they're not anywhere close to full strength on offense. And Sammy Watkins, you know, feels like he's barely played since like September. And you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, not that he's even that big of an absence, but you know, like kind of missing like that secondary option in the passing game. And so just really missing like a lot of like targets. They 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 did their best to get Michael Hardman involved. He had a 41 yard ru- uh, rush on a shovel pass. But beyond that, he had like three catches for 12 or 13 yards. And they're just very kind of weapons limited right now beyond the big two. So, of course, if you're going to be like uh, uh, shallow with weapons, it helps to be like super, super top heavy and have two of the absolute best pass catchers in the game. And they both, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, both did their thing. Travis Kelsey at this point, he, he just basically never has a bad game. Yeah, the, Chief, the Chiefs are just looking like uh, – a team, I think they're the favorites still. I'm going to pick the Chiefs to beat the Bills, but like kind of classic, like they need their stars to be stars because if the Bills can figure out a way to shut down Tyreek Hill or tra- just one of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, uh, the secondary option just like isn't there right now for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, uh, nothing looks easy uh, for Mahomes right now, and that and that's kind of weird to say because for a long time he made it look. Uh, easy and he's just constantly having to resort to these otherworldly type plays uh, in order to gain yards and well, you know whether those balls go to, to Kelsey or, or Hill or whether they go to Hardman or a guy like I don't know Demarcus Robinson or something he's working really hard uh, to keep that offense going the offense doesn't uh, you know, like Pat said, doesn't doesn't look crisp and ha- and hasn't like if, if we're honest about it. I mean, it, it hasn't looked crisp for more than a month, like well over a month now. You know, the the Bills defense, I, I think, is this sort of exploitable defense that might help the Chiefs get back on the right track if they are lucky enough to head into the Super Bowl. But yeah, I mean, right now it it doesn't look fun. It's not fun for the Chiefs right now, and, and it usually is. Two, like a big thing. So, of course, the concussion. It's unclear if he was actually concussed or not. So I was going to make the classic, like, it's easy for me to say statement. But I think maybe the bigger worry than Mahomes' concussion, too, could be his toe. Because, you know, when things have not been easy, he's been running a lot. He's been running for so many first downs. Like, you know, third and ten, like, he's been going, like, Madden mode and just, like, scrambling for 12 yards, which is the most frustrating thing in the world when you're playing Madden, by the way. You you play, like, an honorable game of defense – you stop two passes on first and second down. Then the guy just scrambles in third down. It's cheating. It's not the way to play the game. That's it's cheating. I imagine. And but no, yeah, he stubbed his toe, you know, and like was really limping around the rest of the first half. So he's got two injuries. It seems like he's going to be over the head thing. He might not have ever been concussed. 
but Patrick Mahomes' toe uh, will be the body part to watch this week. How do you think that <laughs> yes. if, if, if you're anti-scrambling on third down, how do you think the Browns fell when Chad Haney took off oh. on third and 14? I mean, that was absolutely backbreaking, even though I know he was a yard <laughs> short, but wow. Yeah, that was the definition of a backbreaker, wasn't it? Uh, has he ever done that in his career? I'm like, when was the last time he had to take a hit like that? Like, I was yeah. the second he got hit. I'm like, well, who is the? Do the Chiefs have a number three quarterback? So I did not think he would be staying in the game. But uh, credit to Chad Henney. I was I was afraid for. Him. I thought he was knocked out uh, when when too. he dove head first. I was like, oh, he's out. Like, who's who's the next quarterback? Because he's done. And <laughs> and he popped up just on on an aside. Tony Romo. Uh, you know, excellent analyst, and I, I do enjoy watching the games he calls. Okay, what was with the the the, the screaming? He 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 was screaming for like a minute straight after Henny was very clearly well short of the sticks. Like it was like I, it was a full yard short, and he's like screaming. Henny takes him to the AFC Championship game. And I'm I'm looking around like am I well of course I'm alone so I don't know who I'm looking at but I'm I'm like what what's going on here did I see a weird angle where he was clearly he clearly didn't make it and he might be knocked out uh, anyway I, the Romo screaming was was curious I wonder how Jim Nance felt about that <laughs> Jim's a very polite he did- guy he likes the golf so he might not have been a big fan. Yeah, Romo went all in, and then he kind of backtracked. And he was like, he almost takes them to the AFC Championship. It was a good – yeah, I, I appreciate that he did that, honestly, because it was it was over the top. It was too much. It was too – yeah. it went on for too – it went on for too long. I, You know, I mean, quickly, a 10-second little burst is fine. But, Tony, like, you went on and on and on, and the refs were like, yeah, it's not, it's not going to be a first well, down song. Matt hit one of the reasons why everyone likes Romo so much because, like, he is very willing to make fun of himself, uh, which is, you know, it's normally like the first thing they teach you in announcer school. Like, always just be super serious, like, never have fun, never admit when you just like said something kind of dumb. And Romo, uh, every time, the rare times he does, he always immediately walks it back and makes yeah. fun of himself. All right. Final game of the weekend. The Bucs beat the Saints 30 to 20 in what we think was the last game of Drew Brees' career. Uh, meanwhile, Tom Brady. Only threw for 199 yards, got just six yards per attempt. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown combined for just 47 receiving yards between the three of them. So, Denny, how did Tampa get this done? Oh, man, it's a it's a great question. I mean, you look at the box score and you're and you're like, how did they, you know, win kind of going away here with their three, you know, main offensive weapons doing so little? Um, it felt a little bit like a reversion back to like New England Brady type play, but uh, they managed, I think, to keep the ball moving just enough, kind of like um, the Saints did against Chicago, where you know they picked up a lot of key first downs, especially in the second half, where it felt like the game might turn if they didn't pick it up, and they just did it over and over and over again and kind of grind it out. Uh, you know what was in the end probably you know a pretty ugly win uh and and i think you know just on the saints side we saw that the only way that they were going to produce big plays uh was to put the ball in Jameis winston's hands and i mean to put the ball in the hands of someone who could actually get the ball downfield i I know it sounds like a joke but breeze's arm strength pat's commented on in recent weeks like it limits that offense uh to a tremendous degree 
I mean, Drew Brees, it's sad too. Like, I, of course, I always like gleefully make jokes, like when this kind of stuff happens, like, uh, you know, making fun of Drew Brees yesterday. But it is very sad for I me. Mean, truly one of the greatest players to ever play NFL. And the kind of like, almost to like the degree that Peyton Manning did kind of like change the game. Like Drew Brees was like the avatar of like efficiency football. Like he was like the first guy that made like a 70% completion percentage feel normal. Like just really like one of the all time, like key figures in the history of football at this point. But he was basically just like football team, Alex Smith yesterday. And this is the whole play since he came back from the ribs, you know, he was already diminished for the rib injury. And like the ribs thing just took it down another notch. And, Per next gen stats, like in the playoffs, his average intended air yards on the wild card round was 5.4. Uh, his average intended air yards against the Bucks was 5.2. And like put that in perspective, only one player all season was below 6.0 on the season, and that was Alex Smith. And mm-hmm. so like it wasn't just in our heads. Like Drew Brees just could not throw deep at all. He couldn't even throw intermediate at all. And there was, there was really just no way the Saints could win the game yesterday with Drew Brees playing like that. I, If they were truly going to sell out for a victory, they needed to bench Drew Brees yesterday. But I understand why even in a division round game, you cannot do that to someone like Drew Brees. I actually do approve of that too, a, a boomer boomer mind. Like I approve of not benching Drew Brees, even though he clearly did not give them their best chance to win. You just can't do Drew Brees like that. But uh, yeah, they just didn't have a chance to win the game with him playing like that. You're right. I'm so glad you said that. I feel like I have cover now to say what needs to be said, which is that if the Saints wanted to win yesterday, they needed to bench Drew Brees, period. That was like very clear, you know, early on and from what we've seen uh, from Brees recently. So, uh, yeah, I total agreement with you there. If you're going to bench yeah. someone like Drew Brees, you need like cover, though. Like with Peyton Manning in 2015, the cover came like the form of an injury. You needed to bench Drew Brees in that situation, but you can't bench Drew Brees in that situation. Drew Brees, by the way, we haven't mentioned the stat line yet, not to pile on. 19 of 34, 134 yards, a touchdown, three interceptions, got just 3.9 yards per attempt. Just absolutely brutal. And let's look at, I mean, what happens now for the Saints? You know, we assume Brees is retiring. Are we headed for a full season of the Taysom Hill experience here, Denny? I kind of hope so from a fantasy standpoint. I actually think <laughs> he's, I, I feel like Taysom Hill is like a, like a really, probably the late round quarterback type if uh you know he gets that starting gig i mean i think lip reading twitter yesterday said that drew Brees said to Jameis winston this is your team now on the sideline so that could factor in here but uh you know Taysom hill that rushing upside the konami code upside that he brings uh, i think he's he's a really could be a really exciting late late round pick and honestly uh you know as, as far as michael thomas goes he targeted michael thomas at a far higher rate than Drew Brees. Uh, I, I had a blurb this morning about, you know, Michael Thomas uh, drawing 11% of the targets from Drew Brees and his four starts uh, this year, or in the four, four games that they played together. That could be a personal thing between them. I don't know. But yeah, I, I kind of, uh, I'm ready for the Taysom Hill experience this offseason. And they basically have no choice. Jameis Winston's a free agent. Uh, they've got you know, like the weirdest contract in the NFL is Taysom Hill. Unless like Sean Payton decides to like blow town basically, which uh, maybe he could because they're $95 million over the salary cap somehow. I really <laughs> don't understand how that's possible. So it's going to be close to maybe like a full scale rebuild in New Orleans. They're going to have to cut loose a lot of veterans. I think uh, I'm going to repeat a joke I made on Twitter yesterday, but when you look up uh, the Saints' salary cap, 
uh, space for 2021. It just says the word Enron. Like this is a really bad uh, situation for the Saints. And a lot of that is because of the contract they gave Taysom Hill. Uh, so he will be the starting quarterback. And like uh, like a two on the nose, but I really do feel like he's like Tim Tebow, like fully realized. Like he's like mm-hmm. the 2020s, the Tim Tebow. And like just like a slightly better version of Tim Tebow. It's going to be amazing for fantasy. Uh, I think that very quickly in real life, the formula – uh, will kind of get exposed and like other defense, he'll be like a very easy quarterback to game plan for. But I mean, I think we're almost certainly, yeah, looking at 16 games of uh, Taysom Hill in 2021. You know, Pat, the Zoomers will appreciate the Enron joke. I'm sure they'll they'll get it. <laughs> Hayden Winks, Hayden. when he listens back to the podcast, is going to Google uh, Enron, Enron Wikipedia. Best if he knew what Google was or if he knew what Wikipedia was. Um, but yeah, Taysom Hill threw a couple deep balls this season that made Chad Henney's bomb uh, from Sunday look like an absolute missile. So <laughs> it's going to be fascinating to see a full season. Hill, I mean, it feels like, like you said, Danny, it's going to be good news for Michael Thomas, but Pat, potentially really bad news for Alvin Kamara in fantasy if we're spinning it ahead. Maybe, but I also think, you know, if we, the Saints get a full offseason, uh, which, you know, they didn't even have an off. So, like, even though they knew Drew Brees was going to be the start of this year, like, if we had a normal offseason, they probably would have gotten in a lot more reps with Taysom Hill, you know, with like the weapons and a full offseason. I think we'll get Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara, Sean Payton, more of a mind meld. And I think one of the final Taysom starts, he did finally get Alvin a bunch of targets, like seven or eight one game. So I, I, it, it will be definitely questionable because no one, if we're talking about running back checkdowns being a quarterback stat, like no one has done that more than Drew Brees, like going back to like Pierre Thomas, and like Reggie Bush, like that's like his thing. Um, so it will definitely be a concern. Alvin Kamara will be a very fascinating uh, ADP case next year and uh, potential first round overdraft with first round talent, but might not have the role anymore. All right. Well, the Bucks will head to Lambeau to face the Packers in the NFC championship game. That is going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple podcasts on Spotify, wherever you listen We'll be back on Thursday with a preview of the NFC and AFC championship games, Bucks at Packers, Bills at Chiefs. Pat, anything else to promo before we get out of here? Denny's ranks uh, this week, Hayden's projections this week. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's it. I'm not doing any work right now, so nothing that I, I'm doing. Um, so, there, yeah. there are so few teams left. I, I don't think I can get the ranks wrong this week. So that's, that's thank you. Challenge accepted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pat, Denny, thanks, guys. Thanks to all of you for listening. Keep those shoes laced up, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.